What's up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. I uh, wanted to reach out and say thank you guys for all the listens, all the love. We see it on social media. We see it on YouTube. It has been sensational. And we want to encourage you guys, if you guys are enjoying the podcast and liking it, that you guys subscribe and like it, uh, whether it's on YouTube, on our UCLA LAFB channel, or the Bruin Bible, uh, to subscribe either through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you guys listen and react to it because it's going to allow us to do much greater things in the future. We're creators. We want to be giving the best Bruins content to all of our UCLA listeners. The only way we can do that is if we have a fan base that is locked in and helping us out. So we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. If you guys have been liking it, please help us out with a like and subscribe. What is up Bruin Bible listeners? Will Decker, your host, the madman, Jamal Madney in the house again. Guys, we are off our first bowl win in almost a decade. It's been since January 2nd, 2015 in the Alamo Bowl when UCLA took down the Kansas State Wildcats in a 40-35 victory. We won last night 35-22. We were both in attendance, man. First half, it was looking pretty grim out there, man. I think the fans were quiet on the UCLA section. I was up in the press box. You were like right in the thick of it, you know, on the field box you know, talking to the alumni and everything going on there. So you had more maybe of a pulse of the fan base from down there. But, dude, it was grim. And then just like a light turning on, the hero of the game. I think this is a natural place to start, man. Ethan Garbers comes in and just explodes and takes UCLA's offense from a zero to a hero type of situation. It was such a – it was night and day, man. He comes out and completes his first eight passes after Schlee starts. And, you know, the common – you know, kind of concerns with Schley is he can't really generate the passing offense that some of these other quarterbacks can. First day passes go, you know, uh, you know his way. Ethan Garbers, two touchdowns, 152 yards through the air, really just kind of put the team on his back in a moment where we needed him the most and delivered, man. First and foremost, let's talk about Garbers and just what your experience was at the game, my man. It was an incredible time, a lot of fun, and one we'll remember for a long time to come. No, no question about it, Will. One, we certainly will. And it, it was great that we, we both had kind of some different vantage points uh, over the course of the game in the stadium. You said it best, Will. I mean, it was a tale of two games. It was a tale of two halves. It was a tale of two months, really. I mean, when you th- think about UCLA football in terms of this roller coaster ride that we've been on, this EKG that we've been on yeah. from Arizona State to USC <laughs> to Cal to Boise State I mean I can't remember a four game stretch that had more cardiac arrests and uh, angioplasties than this one the last four weeks but Will I I really want to start with Garbers in terms of the the leadership here and the one thing I'll say is from a leadership perspective if Garbers was Batman and he certainly was and we're going to dive right into it Kyle Ford was Robin and the reason I say that is because in that pivotal moment I was field level I mean, I was right behind the team, maybe five yards from, from the team. And it was 16 to seven in the third quarter. Schley busts that big run, uh, you know, midway through the third quarter on that first drive and then gets hurt. And 
you know, I see Schley with the help of the training staff walking down the sideline and he kicks one of the chairs. He's really frustrated because he knows it's serious. And he goes into the, the UCLA health tent. And during that time, Kyle Ford brings the whole team together on the field. It was right around the 25 yard line and everyone circles around him and he makes this impassioned plea and he looks each guy in the eye and he sort of pops them all in the chest and says, this is our time now. We have to sort of rally around our signal caller. We have to rally around each other. And it was it was really a tremendous uh, amount of leadership there. Of course, Garbers comes in. He finds Ford on those two passes. It becomes 16-14. And then Garbers just energizes this offense from there, courtesy of him, as well as the, the artist, formerly known as J. Michael Sturdivant, who is now currently known as J. Michael Sturdivant again. And Garbers just has a mastery of this offense, Will, where he knows when to hand it off. He knows when to be safe with it. He knows when to take his deep shots. And Garbers was absolutely phenomenal. It was a historic day yesterday. For only the fourth time in the last 31 years has UCLA been able to beat USC and win a bowl game in the same season. And Ethan Garbers is the quarterback for that. And Chip Kelly is the coach for that. So both guys making a tremendous amount of history, Will, yesterday. And what I also love is the continuity now moving forward. Garber is saying that he's coming back. I think we felt that he would come back. But to have it be so definitive in that press conference, talking about how much he loves the program, how much he loves the coach, how much he loves his teammates, how much he loves his coaching staff. And now you have a foundation here, Will, moving forward where with Garbers, with Harden, with Ford, We'll see which of the defensive guys comes back. I think there's probably going to be an internal hire at defensive coordinator. I think stability is the name of the game here moving forward. Now, from the depths of despair, there's optimism moving into the 2024 season. How quickly things change in the world of college sports. But I'm so happy for Ethan Garbers. And what I also love is his leadership, Will, where at the start of the game, he and Chip have a conversation. He says, I can't really give it a go. Chip goes with Schley. But then when he sees his team in need of a spark, in need of leadership, he comes in, he galvanizes, and UCLA scores on four consecutive possessions and turns a 16-7 to deficit into a 35-16 lead and then ultimately a 35-22 victory. So a tremendous day for UCLA football. And to be able to win a game at the Rose Bowl, at the Coliseum, and at SoFi Stadium all in one season, I think is a real cherry on the Sunday and gave the fans a lot to be happy about and excited about going into 24. What at all three major venues for college football, uh, you know, within the Los Angeles area. Nine of 12 through the air, he finished with 152 yards and two touchdowns. And this goes back to the spring conversation we were talking about, man. I was in the minority when it came out that I goes, I want Garbers to start. You know, I was hyped that Garbers got the start. And you, you always play in your mind what could potentially happen and what actually, you know, transpired. I don't, if he doesn't throw that second interception, you know, in that game against Coastal Carolina to open the year, you saw in the red zone, he throws a pick. His confidence kind of goes awash. I mean, he had a very short leash. The alumni was pushing for Dante Moore to start. Damn. I mean, we were looking at the mentions. We're doing a podcast. You were wanting more to get in there, right? So a lot of people wanted Dante to get in there. And it's just like his confidence really kind of took a hit due to that in a lot of reasons. But man, in the, I've said this a couple of times, so it may be regurgitated to some of the fan base. The toughness it takes in today's era where you have like a Malachi Nelson transferring from USC or a lot of these guys where if they don't get their way, they transfer immediately. 
for Garbers to stick this out, this whole roller coaster of emotions. I mean, we've had a roller coaster. You said EKG in terms of heart attack for the fan base. I mean, imagine what it's been like for him, you know, having the job, losing the job, finally getting the job back, getting injured, you know, leading this team to a bowl game. He doesn't feel good sitting out and then comes back in the second half and gets it done. It's so impressive. And, you know, he's built enough confidence where he beat USC. He's won the bowl game, but coming into next year, kind of knowing he's the guy, getting the car keys to this, you know, you know, university's football team. It's so exciting to see that happen. So Garber's It man. really is, Will. I mean, and just to sort of double-click on that, I think it brings such a clarity to spring next year when you know this is the guy. And he has the confidence. He has the experiences, the victories behind him, much in the way when you look at, two years ago, going into last year with DTR, right? You know, you knew this was going to be his his final year. He's going to make the jump. And everyone sort of needed to rally around him. And it's so funny you mentioned it, Will. I mean, the roller coaster. I remember the first game. I mean, we, we were sitting here on the first pod. And, and you know, obviously you were the Garbers guy. I was the Moore guy at the beginning. I think we both acknowledged it was going to be close either way. And I remember the, I mean, you remember the first episode of the season where you're like, I can't believe Chip. I can't believe Chip kept Garbers in the game that long. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it was like, what's he doing? Why is Garbers even in the game that long? You know, I mean, and so from that point of departure to then sort of watch Dante take the reins, have success in the non-conference, then struggle a bit in the early part of the conference season, come back with Stanford, battle injury, come back, beat SCB, win the bowl game. I mean, the two biggest wins of the year, Will, are, are on Ethan Garbers' shoulders. And so now taking that confidence moving forward, Chip has all the confidence in the world in him. I think the team does as well. And when you have clarity at the most important position in the sport, you're setting yourself up for success. And I think moving forward now, any of these pieces, whether it's offensive linemen in the portal, whether it's skill guys, either in high school or in the portal, know, okay, this is going to be the quarterback. So I have clarity here uh, before I move forward. Yeah, it's the most important position, not only in football, but likely American sports. So when you have a guy that you can trust and hang your hat on, it makes your whole team better. I mean, the defense started playing better when they knew they had a legitimate quarterback out there in the field that could move the ball. It affects everything in the game of football. And to get Garbers back for another year, I think that's huge. Last question I'll stop with on Garbers is just your opinion. If Garbers started this year, and let's say he plays every single game, how many games does UCLA win if he was the guy from the beginning? Doesn't look back, dominates against Coastal Carolina. You know, I think he beats Utah, in my opinion. I think that was a very winnable game. He had been there before, so he had that in his mind to go into Utah and maybe play them. He played pretty well in that game, too. 265 yards, two touchdowns in the game two years ago at Utah. And just, I mean, I don't know, man. It, it, it seems like 10, 11 wins was very foreseeable if he's there and he's healthy throughout the entire year. Well, I, I think, you know, it's such a it's such a tremendous question of what if I think, you know, I'll go crazy. You know, I'll, my mind will become, you know, a pretzel and I'll start pulling my hair out if I sort of think about it game by game, because, you know, the what if game is so powerful. The one thing I will say very confidently, because obviously I think it's a great point about Utah. On the flip side, was Washington State as good a matchup for him versus, Don, you know, like you can sort of play the, the game both sides, Oregon State on the road, tough game either way. So I, I can totally see it uh, in, in a variety of contexts. The one thing that I'm certain of is if Ethan Garbers is the starter, UCLA beats Arizona State and UCLA beats Cal. I have no doubts about that. And that brings this team to 10 and 3. 
school record number of wins. And we're thinking about Chip. We're thinking about the program. We're thinking about so many things very, very differently. And just to tie in that final point, Will, because I think you brought up such an exceptional point, the defense, look at the ebb and flow of the defense between the first half and the second half. You know, that first half, even without Latu, they were kind of getting moved on the line. The rush defense was struggling. This wasn't the same unit that we have seen against the likes of USC, against the likes of Utah and others. And when they knew that they finally had a quarterback that had the ability to stretch the ball vertically, to be able to bring variability and variety into the offense and keep an opposing defense on their heels and really be a threat offensively, their game rose up. And it kind of goes back to that Oladijo comment earlier where he said, you know, there's a disunification taking place. And I think a lot of that got thrown out of context of, hey, maybe the chemistry on the team is is messed up or there's something sort of internally cancerous going on in this program. It really was the defense's confidence in the offense to be able to hold up at least some end of the bargain. And I think that was really the key. That was so evident in the bowl game here where once Garbers came into the game, it inspired the defense as well. And so yes. I think that's also why we have to think as much as it pains the fans, we have to think about those Arizona State and Cal losses a little bit differently because if Garbers is there, this defense is going to play more inspired. UCLA is going to be much more of a threat offensively, and we're probably celebrating Chip Kelly in the streets for going 10-3 and three and, and tying the school record number of wins. Yeah, and I mean, it's I don't want to say that you don't try hard when you don't have a quality quarterback in there because that's completely false. But think about the extra rest you get instead of three and outs. You know, you get a lot of more time to rest to get focused on your assignments on defense. You're kind of worn out. You send the offense back out three plays later. They're sending the punting you. You got to get ready again in like a span of two minutes. So it's very tiring. It's very exhausting. And when you know you don't have a chance at something, it kind of, you know, clouds your mind, if you will, out there on the football field. So not saying tight, Will. You play tight, you know, because when you know you got to play that perfect game, it's not a, to your point, it's not a question of effort. I totally agree with you, but you start playing tight because you know you got to play a perfect game because you know if you give up kind of one play, you're not going to be able to necessarily get it back on the other end. It's sort of the reverse Baltimore Ravens of the 2000s phenomena, if you remember, Will. You know, that defense was so dominant. The offense was like, hey, let's go out there and just make one play and we're going to win this game 3 nothing or 7-3 or what, what, whatever the case may be. This was sort of a reverse phenomena where – given the state of the offense being so limited uh, and take nothing away from Schley and the others, they're terrific kids, but it's just where they are kind of in terms of maturation of this offense, you play tight, you play very tense because you know, one mistake is going to potentially end the game for you. When you know, you have some margin for error on the other side of the ball, you play better, you play more dynamically, you play more explosively and, and you take some more calculated risks. And I think that's what we saw in the second half defensively. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, I want to touch base on a guy that uh, I believe was the Robin of this game, man. J. Michael Sturdivant, the artist formerly known, as you announced earlier. This guy was the Robin to Batman, in my opinion, because you look at what he was able to put out there. When Garbers got in, immediately it was just a different game with Sturdivant on the field. 39-yard catch on that first scoring drive outside the red zone leads to a touchdown. Second scoring drive. 41-yard gain on a catch. Goes out of bounds, leads to a touchdown. And then the last one, maybe the most beautiful thrown catch of the year, where Garbers just hit some 40 yards right near the pylon on the right side of the end zone, over-the-shoulder grab from Sturdivant. This guy is an absolute game-changer. I know people were like, 
how do we get him involved? How do we get him involved? A lot of our offense this year, we didn't have enough time to let plays develop. He's not a bubble screen guy. He's a deep threat, and he runs like a track star where he gets faster and faster as he keeps going downfield. It's not like one of those guys with the quick twitch kind of motions. He's very much like a track athlete out there. So to see our guys tournament really blossom in the bowl game after just waiting for this all year long, it was a thing of beauty, man. Give me your take on Sturdy because what a baller this guy was on Saturday night. What a baller, Will. And, and, and I totally agree with you. You know, I, I think of Ford as sort of the Robin from a leadership standpoint, and I think of Sturdivan as the Robin from the on the field. So let me, let me change my analogy, okay? <laughs> yeah. Garbers was Batman. Sturdivan was Robin. And Kyle Ford was Alfred. Okay, that's that's how I think of this game. <laughs> and so Sturt event was absolutely phenomenal. Well, this was the J. Michael Sturt event that we saw all in spring ball. This was, frankly, the best player on UCLA's team, not named Layatu Latu. I mean, I just that's how I that's how strongly yeah. I think of yeah. J. Michael Sturt event. And it was just a shame that he didn't get a chance to show more of it, given the offensive line challenges this year, given the musical chairs that was played at quarterback. The moment Garbers came in there, I mean, it was those three consecutive balls, Will. And J. Mike, look, even to Schley's credit, Schley had a great reception with J. Mike in the first half, you know, where he sort of darted that one in there. So uh, Sturdivant was finding openings all over the field, but it was those three in particular, Will. You said it best, you know, and that last one, you know, down that right sideline, and he curls into that pylon and does that dive. I was maybe five or six yards from Wayne Cook at that point. And he was going, wow. And he sort of ran over and we high-fived each other uh, because we said, look, this was the guy we were waiting for the whole year. And so, you know, when you talk about the ability to blow the top off the defense, this, you know, J. Mike, he did it all throughout spring practice. You said it best. There hasn't been a guy that can stay with him within a step, uh, Will, throughout the season. We haven't seen it. And even when you look back at the tape, whether quarterbacks were unable to get the ball to J. Mike, you always saw space. I mean, you go back to that Utah game when when Moore sort of overthrew him a couple times. You know, he had he had openings there. He had openings in that Colorado game. He had openings in the Oregon State game. He is just an absolute handful. And I think it's going to be a big decision for him. You know, does he want to come back um, and put more on tape to show others what you and I already know? Or does he want to kind of take his chances at the combine and just let his combine speak for itself, his combine and his interview? So I think it's going to be a really interesting next couple of weeks for J. Mike. And I think a lot of it will also be predicated on how UCLA does in the O-line from a transfer portal perspective and from a signing perspective. But this was the coming out party that we've been waiting for, Will. And I love Logan Loya to death. But yeah. in order for you to have a truly explosive offense vertically, Logan Loya cannot be your number one receiver. You know, no. you, you need a guy like J. Mike as your number one and an intermediate guy like a Kyle Ford, who's a matchup problem, as your number two. And then you've got Loya slotting in there as your ultimate slot guy at number three. That's what success looks like for this offense. And we got a taste of it in the L.A. Bowl, and it was so great to see. Dude, four catches, 142 yards. That's 35 and a half yards a catch on four grabs. I mean, he was just outstanding on a different level. I think he's going to test the NFL waters, but if he comes back, that is a huge bonus for UCLA moving forward. We talked about a quarterback kind of solidifying his spot for next year. What about a running back? Carson Steele was nowhere to be found on the field, which makes me think he's either testing the NFL waters or looking at the transfer portal as a whole. But boy, did we get something big in TJ Harden, the guy who was my RB1 
coming in the year. I know we discussed this. We both really felt highly about our guy, TJ Harden. 20 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Was just big in big moments. When Garber started getting to go, getting going in the positive direction, it seems like Harden did exactly the same on the ground. Two key, you know, second half touchdowns in that 21-point third quarter effort from UCLA. What do you think of Harden, man? Because I thought he was outstanding. He looks like the part of the next NFL running back for UCLA. Oh, I, I thought he was phenomenal, Will. You know, the 20 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns, just a very comprehensive effort. And what I loved was just the versatility. I mean, he ran in between the tackles. He ran on the outside on stretch plays. He was patient when he ran outside, found kind of a crease, and then made a cut and go. And then what I love about him is the secondary cuts. You know, there's a lot of running backs, Will, that make one cut and go. Uh, very few have the ability to make multiple cuts on a particular run. And Harden has this ability. He'll make one cut on a crease, get to the second level, and then have enough to make another cut. It's really special. Uh, how he looks. He reminds me a lot of Le'Veon Bell in terms of just sort of his his footwork and just his patience um, and his ability to sort of be a bell cow. And he holds that ball up tight. Also, he reminds me of Terrell Davis and where he holds the ball, you know? And so he's just such a joy to watch. And just watching his evolution, Will, over the last two years has really been tremendous. Harden has saved his best games for the biggest moments. When you go back last year, that Cal game, when you look at the Sun Bowl, then when you look at the SC game, and now you look at the LA Bowl, again, solidifying that RB1 position moving forward. We hope Carson Steele comes back and there's there's sort of a thunderish and lightning-ish sort of combination. But I think we are in tremendous hands with TJ Harden being RB1 moving forward. And it's just great to now be in a position, fingers crossed, things change so quickly with Nil in the transfer portal. But if you come in, with clarity at quarterback and then clarity at running back going into the spring, given how run heavy everything begins with a Chip Kelly offense, it just sets the tone in a very different way, culturally, strategically, continuity-wise, in a very different way. So really excited now for TJ Harden, another guy who hopefully now takes this confidence and really translates it earlier in the season in 24. I think you and I, I think there's still more to be had with Harden. We see so much potential there. I think we saw, we thought that after last year's performances, he was going to come in this year and just kind of gum, come guns blazing and take this team by storm. Didn't quite happen with the steel combination, but I think now it's set up now in year three of this offense for him to do exactly that. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch his progression as we go to the Big Ten. We've got our quarterback. We've got our running back. Unfortunately, the next guy can't be brought back, but I mean, the defensive player of the game, man, the middleman, on this defense all year long, the flying Hawaiian, Mr. Darius Muwasau, 11 tackles, two and a half tackles for a loss, was all over the field and made some critical plays in the second half to force punts to get UCLA the ball back with Garbers when he was red hot. You know, Muwasau is such a special player. We've compared him at times to what, you know, Manti Teo did at Notre Dame and the impact he has on this defense. He would play his best in the biggest moments for UCLA and oftentimes. And, I mean, we were lucky enough to go to the press conference after the game where Chip Kelly, uh, Garbers, and Muwasa was there. Muwasa had the last question, and I promise you there's not a dry eye in the room when he was talking about his, like, last and final, you know, performance at UCLA and his college career coming to an end. You could just see how much he cared about being a Bruin and how much it meant to him to walk off with a victory. He was choking up. Everyone else was choking up. It was funny. The lights kind of cut off after the first one, and Garbers like, 
dang, man, you got everyone in here teary-eyed and everyone just started laughing. So it was just a funny moment to be around. Mwasau was such a special Bruin in his two years here. What does he mean to UCLA and how did you watch the game with him and how he was able to progress this team to getting their first bull win in about a decade? Well, it was very touching to see Darius Mwasau. He represents everything that makes UCLA such a special place. When you talk about student-athlete, when you talk about the soul of what it means to be a Bruin, when you talk about service, when you talk about being a leader in your community, when you talk about being a great sibling or child or parent or friend, that's what Darius Mwasau is, the ultimate ambassador for UCLA. And you saw the depth of what UCLA meant to him at the end there when he talked about his teammates and his coaches and what a privilege this was and how he's getting ready for another chapter in his life in, in the NFL and, and so much success that we're all going to be rooting for him. And he's going to undoubtedly do some great things both on and off the field in the future, but just that he needs to take a day or two to step back because of how transformational this experience was. He had three amazing years before UCLA and two incredibly special years here. And he's always going to be one of those players. I'll remember will as the guy that kind of set the foundation for UCLA to be able to go to the big 10. He on the field yes, yesterday just flew, was flying all over the place, completely disrupted Boise State's lateral passing game. You know, whether it was bubble screens, whether it was, you know, screen passes to the backs, whether it was sort of short outlet passes, Muasa was all over the place, clogged the middle as well. I mean, it just felt like you were calling his name every defensive play. He was just flying all over the field. He saved one of his great games for last. And I'm just so proud of Darius Moasa being a UCLA Bruin. And, Will, you know, I know we're going to talk about some big picture stuff, but these are the kind of kids that we want at UCLA. I don't want the one-year rental at UCLA. You know, and if that means that we have to take a couple hits on the wins, you know, so be it. You know, because this is a different place at UCLA. I want kids who want to, who in their last press conference at UCLA, say things the way Darius Moasau said. And guys who care about this program, their teammates, you know, at the end of the day, Chip Kelly is not a football coach. Chip Kelly's an educator, you know, and sometimes we forget that, you know, with, with the stakes and the money of college football. And I'm OK taking and I might be in the minority and I might get crushed on Twitter and so be it. But I'm OK not winning 11 games a year, but having kids like Darius Moasau littering my locker room because of what they mean both on and off the field and the culture that you build and the camaraderie that you build and the values that you build moving forward. I couldn't be more proud of Darius Moasau, and he's going to be an absolute stud moving forward. Moasau, just a stud, man. And he will be a guy that is sorely missed on campus. We will talk about big picture things, but I think we got to bring this back into perspective. Alex Johnson was snubbed from the first and second team of, you know, all pack 12 on defense. And he went out there and made another game-changing interception. It's actually when that interception occurred in the second half where things really got things going for UCLA. Alex Johnson's final game as a Bruin. He's been here since the very beginning of the Chip Kelly tenure. Six years, him and Josiah Norwood have been in the program. Just another guy that I think we got to, you know, tip our cap to as great Bruins that have stood the test of time. And, you know, Alex Johnson's going to have a chance to really make an NFL roster. I believe that in my heart of hearts. Five picks in Pac-12 play this year just what a legend man I, i'm such a fan of our guy alex johnson what does he mean to you and bruin fans all over he what he means to me will is just the personification of resilience the personification of grit 
the personification of staying with it and growing and learning and reaching his potential when his potential was most needed at the peak of his career, you know, and uh, it, there's a, there's a tremendous quote by John Wooden, which, which sort of defines success is success is defined by knowing I gave my very best self when my best self was needed. I mean, and you sort of define it in that way that I got the most out of myself, regardless of what happens in terms of wins or losses. And that's how I see Alex Johnson and the growth and the maturity. And what makes it so special, Will, is you and I had an opportunity to, to sort of chat with his dad during, during spring yeah. ball. And, yeah. you know, he was talking so much about, you know, what a great kid Alex Johnson is. What a great father he has and a great family and the values and the structure. I mean, just, I mean, my goodness. I mean, just an incredible family, the Johnson family. And, you know, the, Mr. Johnson was talking about, I have very high hopes in Alex. And I think this is the year where he's going to put it together. He has so much talent and it's taken him a while to kind of put all the jigsaw pieces together. But I think this is the year he's going to put it together. And I think he's going to surprise some people. And dad knows best, as, as always he does. And boy, has he with the five interceptions and then the huge scoop and score against SC. I mean, Alex Johnson is going to be in UCLA lore, Will, when you talk about some of the biggest moments of this season and moving forward. And I think the combination of his cerebral element of the game with his ball skills, with his length, with his instincts of being able to be in the right place at the right time, Alex Johnson is going to get a serious look by an NFL team, whether that's drafted, undrafted, what have you. He's going to be in a camp this upcoming spring with an opportunity to make an NFL roster. I, I, I'm certain of that, and I'm just so proud of him. Another great story, Will, and that's, that's what gets me so excited, and that's what makes UCLA so special, a school like no other. When you have student athletes like Alex Johnson, like Darius Moss that come through your program and you win. In so many ways, that to me means just as more, just as much, if not more than the rings and the banners. It's those moments. And I just couldn't be more proud of those two young men. And I'm always so proud to be a Bruin. Yeah, man. So much to be proud of for Bruins fans with every one of those players we just listed and the entire team for coming together and getting their first bull win in more than a decade's time. Last question I got for you, man. It was a very interesting this week. A reporter came up to Chip and asked him what he would change about college football. And he had this very long, detailed answer, and he didn't even put a ton of thought into it. He just kind of was, you know, going off the, the head right there. And it was really impressive what he was able to put together. And basically the juxta of, uh, you know, the juxta of what he was trying to say was, hey, why are we, you know, the football, why are we not all independent teams? Why can't we just pick who we want to play? We can have different, you know, conferences and stuff sponsored by big brands to make sure that the money comes in and make sure our other sports are playing, you know, people around them. Like, why is softball have to travel across the country to do their entire schedule? Why is football not treated differently? Because it is, you know, predominantly the school or the, the school program that makes the most money for every institution. Why is it different from them? So it was a very, very interesting, you know, conversation that Chip kind of started with that. It shows how intelligent he was and how much thought he put into it. Give me your take on kind of the big picture of college football, because I thought he broke down, you know, a big wall when it came to this answer. Oh, absolutely. It was such an insightful answer, Will. And that's Chip Kelly. He's just so insightful. He's he's had books written about him. He's an intellectual. He's a pragmatist. And, you know, he's the 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 emblem of, of books and ball moving forward. And so much of his thoughts has been caught nationally now. And in terms of ESPN articles, The Athletic, I mean, a lot of discussion around what Chip Kelly says. And by and large, most people really agree with it and thought it was a very poignant point. Will, you know, taking a step back, 
I am concerned about the future of college football because we're turning into Major League Baseball here and a world of the professionalization of a sport where there is no salary cap. And now we're in a situation where, I mean, does high school recruiting even matter anymore when we're watching and looking around across the country? Because the risk-reward ratio, Will, I wonder, I mean, when you put so much into trying to recruit a kid from high school and that one thing goes wrong and he's in the transfer portal, that time value of money, that opportunity cost of I could be doing something else for the program, I don't know if that closes anymore. And it's we're in a very weird place right now in college football where the only metric that seems to matter is how many seven-figure donors you have for your football program. And I think we're sort of in a world today, right now, where if I were to look at the landscape of college football, I think UCLA, with all the richness of their activities, I think there's about two or three seven-figure donors specifically for football. When you look across town at a place like USC, I think there's about 10 or 12 seven-figure donors for football. And then when you look at the likes of the Alabamas and the Georgias and the LSUs and the Michigans and the Ohio States and the Texases and sort of those blue bloods, I think you have 25 or 30, you know, seven-figure donors for football. And so moving forward, you know, how is this going to play out? Are you really going to look at this situation where players are going to pick some of these more mid-tier Power 5 schools you know, get their reps in, show their value, and then enter the portal to go into one of these big brands to get paid, to get the endorsements, to get the exposure, much in the way we think of the Oakland A's or the Kansas City Royals and the Angels and all of these other teams where guys become stars and then get their big paydays with the Yankees and the Dodgers and et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's a dangerous spot that we're in right now. And I think moving forward, UCLA, to me, at this particular point, I think there's some conversations that need to be had on what does success look like? What does the vision look like? But I think UCLA is going to go after the kids like the Darius Moasels, like the Alex Johnsons, the kids that want to be here because they see football as a piece of a larger experience and want to build that continuity and want to build that culture. And I think UCLA wants to have the books and ball kids and the kids that are going to be the great leaders moving forward. And if that means eight to nine wins a year, so be it where every third or fourth year you have an opportunity for more, I think that's where UCLA football is right now and what success looks like moving forward unless something drastically changes. And I think as fans and I think as alumni and I think as boosters, I think we either have to be okay with it and celebrate it or let's have a conversation about what this needs to look like elsewhere. But I think the Blue Bloods are getting into a dangerous place here where every player on their roster is going to be a one- or two-year rental. And I just don't know how that is sustainable, Will, in the long term for organizational success when you don't have any connection to the school after a while, at five, six, seven years in, and none of these players have any connection to their schools because every player has played two or three schools over the course of their five or six years in college, four or five years in college. That's kind of a dangerous place to be culturally. So... I'm concerned about the future of college football. I'm sure we'll talk about it a ton in the offseason, but this is starting to look a lot more like Major League Baseball than any other sport. And I think it needs to be regulated 100%. It's like the wild, wild west out there. I don't know how you do it. I'm pro paying you know, college athletes and how much they generate for the universities when it comes to attendance, when it comes to jersey sales, the whole nine, right? But it definitely needs to be regulated. And kind of piggyback off that point, I still think – you know, money can buy you a lot of things. It can't buy you development and good coaching. And you look at the Bamas and the Michigans, 
they don't take a lot of transfers in, man. If I'm being honest with you, they do not take a lot of transfers. It's guys that have been in those programs. Like, look at Jalen Milrow, who's been there for like two to three years, finally developing. Look at like J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum. Those are guys that have been there in the trenches for University of Michigan. You know, and for every one of those, you have the high NAL schools like Texas A&M, which flamed out this year. USC, which flamed out this year. Florida Gators, flamed out. I mean, I could go down the list on a couple more of these. You know, and you can get away with it in other sports, but the ultimate team sport of football where those bonds have to be as strong as they are. And, I mean, I heard it in the locker room with Muasau talking about how he felt about that defense. He goes, everyone in here, we played for one another. Like Absolutely. You, tell me USC was doing that this year because it wasn't happening. You know what I mean? On that defense, no one was playing for each other on USC. They were there for a paycheck, it felt like, as opposed to playing for one another. So the brotherhood of playing together and, you know, developing. NIL money is incredibly important. It's going to be a necessary thing for UCLA to maybe get over that peak of where we're at right now. But to me, the most important things are development and, you know, building those brotherhoods with one another. Do you think that's I completely a- agree with you, Will. I think it's so well said. And I think the question now is going to be, how much can that continue? You know, when you have a great coach like a Coach Saban who understands what it means to build an organization, he is going to prioritize continuity. Uh, you know, but he's going to sort of mix it up with, you know, guys that he can get in the portal and sort of, you know, put a, a great stew together and put a great product on the field. Somebody like a Harbaugh understands that. But how you sort of can evolve with the times, you and I have talked about it. This has kind of just been year two of NIL. These teams are starting to kind of put it all together in terms of, you know, the money's getting bigger. It's getting more concentrated. People are starting to figure out a strategy. So how all of this plays out is going to be really interesting. You know, you mentioned the quorums uh, of the world, Will, and just I, I, I'm always so blown away at how much he loves Michigan and being a Michigan man. But, you know, Will, he came to Michigan kind of pre-mill, right? You know, so like how many of the Blake quorums are you going to get now in this world? We talk about Milro and the development, and I think this has been Saban's greatest coaching job to date. I mean, it's shocking to think a man with seven national championships, this is his best coaching job. I couldn't agree with it more. This is absolutely his best coaching job. But who's the guy that Milrose throwing the ball to in terms of Burton? Burton played at Georgia last year, right? And so it just is very interesting moving forward. And I think you and I are both completely on the same page that continuity matters, culture matters. And I think I want to put continuity and culture and the quality of the student athlete above all else. And I think that is going to be a recipe that will make UCLA extremely successful in football moving forward. But in years where... They have to make a choice between those values and taking a hit in one or two losses on the field. I think they should be picking the former nine, you know, 10 times out of 10 in terms of what it means to sort of this program overall moving forward. So I think it's going to be fascinating how we see this play out in 24 and beyond. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I think it's the closest thing that this has to comparison to other sports is, it's similar to the one and done. You got to adapt. You got to figure out a way to do it. Even Coach K started taking one and done guys when he was like the anti guy at the beginning. Even Saban's taking transfers and has bought into this NIL thing. And he's been on the record saying he hates it, right? He hates everything about it. He does not like it. But, you know, I think it's it's going to be very interesting. But I still would put the values of coaching and development. I think that's what Chip has, among other things. is like, hey, who's put more, you know, players in the Pac-12 out than me? when he's going out there to recruit over the last two years, that's me right there. That's me in this program come here and I can maybe re- help you reach your ceiling and get there. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot. And of Will, it's such a great point because 
when, if we pull on that college basketball thread a little bit, right, what has happened to Kentucky basketball since sort of the one and dones have been even more sort of saturated, right? And Coach K got into the one and done game. And you and I have kind of talked about this offline. You know, Kentucky's performance has gone down. And now when you think about kind of the blue bloods in college basketball with this whole one and done, it's not the same names that you always think of. It's not just Kentucky and Duke. I don't think Kentucky is in a great place right now in college basketball. I don't think Duke is in a great place right now in college basketball. Look at the teams that are starting to come up now. You've got the Yukons and you've got the Purdue's and you've got Arizona and you've got some of these teams, the Creighton's. You've got teams that come in that have that continuity. And yeah. before it was sort of unthinkable to think that, you know, uh, the likes of a Butler before 10 years ago or a Creighton or someone or a Purdue or someone of or a Gonzaga or someone of that ilk could win the national championship because of how predominant the Blue Bloods were in those sports. Could we be seeing a similar trend here in college football where the Blue Bloods, because they have access to all of these players in a one-and-done fashion, can't build a requisite culture? Look, there, there's going to come a time where Nick Saban is going to retire. Nick Saban's don't grow on trees. You know, like, is, is the next Alabama coach going to be able to have that ability to kind of bring everyone together the way Coach Saban did? Is you know, Harbaugh gonna, the, the Harbaugh replacement going to be able to do that for Michigan eventually? And so does that open the door for teams that are building the right way and be able to compete at the extreme highest levels of the sport a la UCLA football? Is there an opportunity here for UCLA football to get to a place of national contention that it has not seen for a quarter century because of these trends? I'm very excited about it. I'm very bullish about it because I believe you build the best organizations with culture and with continuity. And I think UCLA is doing absolutely the right thing here. It is, man. I think that's a great place to finish off. Bullwin, we talked about everything going on. Garber's coming back. Harden coming back. Future's looking brighter than we thought a couple weeks ago, guys. So let's keep the spirits high. A lot of positives coming in the transfer portal. We got the Notre Dame wide receiver Rico Flores this past week. So let's keep that momentum rolling into the next season as we head to the Big Ten. Guys, we will be doing a lot more. We're going to have a special announcement Coming up later this week, the Madman and I, about the future of the Bruin Bible. So stay tuned for that. We're going to be doing something very, very different, but very, very fun and on brand to what we bring here. So, guys, stay tuned. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Happy holidays to all that listen to the Bible.